So this week, uh, it's a pretty big holiday coming up. Um, you guys know what it is? Turkey Day. Tur- Thanksgiving? Turkey Day? Is that this week? Oh, that's not what I was talking about. Um, talking about another holiday. I, I, guess it is, I guess it is Thanksgiving. Um, I thought it was that the Dallas Cowboys were playing the Washington Commanders <laughs> during the day on Thursday, but I guess they're doing that because it's Thanksgiving. That's true. It's football all day. It is Thanksgiving. True story. It's probably my favorite holiday uh, because of lunch. It's so good. Uh, and my mother-in-law always throws down a spread and I love going and, and having the fellowship. And so all that kind of stuff. Uh, but I want to talk about football. The reason I said the game's coming up. And, and one thing I love about professional sports, high school sports, college sports, I'm a big football nut. Anytime I can work football into a sermon, you know by now I'm going to. I'm a big Dallas Cowboys fan. Uh, and, and I know that there's people in here who just hate the Dallas Cowboys, and I love it. I love the camaraderie and the, the smack talk and the going back and forth. My good buddy, Paul Meterata, we got a standing bet every year, and you guys are going to find out the result of it next week. When the Cowboys and the Commanders play, they keep changing their names, so I can't keep up. Um, that football team in Washington, when they play, uh, the, the loser has to wear the winner's like jersey or t-shirt or hat or something during church on the following Sunday. And so, listen... I've been watching the Commanders this year. I'm not too worried. But I also know it's professional football, and anything can happen on the national TV scene. And so y'all pray for me, pray for Paul, uh, and uh, hopefully uh, things will turn out and the good guys will win. Um, <laughs> I, love, I love the camaraderie, the smack talk, whether it's from the collegiate level, high school level, all the way up. But there's like a little pet peeve that I have about this whole conversation, and that is when People love to hate on the Cowboys, but then they'll come at me and they'll be blah, 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 Cowboys. I'm like, yeah, who's your team? And they're like, uh, 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 and they'll say something like, it's not, they don't even know. Like, they don't have a team. They don't care. Or maybe they do have a team and you get into the nitty gritty talking about the game. You're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you guys are looking good this year. It's like, oh, are we? Are we looking good this year? That's good. You don't know? What's the last time you watched a game? Oh, we won that Super Bowl in 86. So, um, (laughs) no, you won a Super Bowl since then. Okay. And like, so. Honestly, watch football, watch sports however you want to. It's just a game. I don't care. I love the the back and forth about it. But the thing of pretending to be a fan and not actually following the thing, that's the piece I want us to start on today. Because I think this is true often in our faith, in our spiritual walk. The number of people in this world who will bid a big old rubber stamp Christian on their Facebook profile, on the stickers on their car, on the shirts that they wear, the things that they might say, and someone brings up God, they're like, yeah, 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 I'm a big fan of his work. I love God, man. He's a good guy. Like, but it's like when you get into the nitty-gritty of like your faith, what do you believe? How does that transform your life? What difference does it make for you? And the number of people who are just like, ah, you look at their life and there's maybe no fruit there. There's maybe no evidence of that. Now, I want you to know, this is a safe place for our failure. I think family should be the safest place to fail, at your house and at your church. You can fall flat on your face, and your family needs to be there to pick you up. But I also want us to know that as a people, we, we need to have like a standard of wanting to serve God in a, a certain way. We want to reflect in our life. People should know by interacting with you, like, man, you, you're kind. Is there a reason for that? You're generous. Is there a reason for that? You're patient. Is there a reason for that? And that in us, when we find those weaknesses in ourselves, we can draw on what Jesus gives us and we can pull it out. We can, we can change and not be like a false fan, but be all in. We're in this teaching series called Thrive, and I've talked about the plant just a minute ago, and the idea of Thrive is from one of our core values. We've got five core values. They're framed on the wall outside above the coffee bar. Hopefully, you've seen them and taken a look at them. 
we believe and talk about all kinds of stuff. And so maybe not just those five, but those are the five that for our leadership, like rises to the top. Those are the things you're going to hear us say all the time. And one of those values is we value owning your growth. And so this series is about what does that mean? In the first week of this series, we sort of debunked the myth that, uh, you know, it's like owning your spiritual growth is a solo gig. Like you got to do it on your own. Get out there and all right, just go pick yourself up by your bootstraps and figure it out. No, God designed us and created us in community, and that's where we thrive. That's where we grow. So week one was about, you know, do you have someone in your life, a mentor, a teacher? I use the word rabbi because that's what Jesus was to his, his students, his disciples. Are there people in your life who are coming alongside you and helping you on that journey of spiritual coach of sorts? Um, in your seats, uh, I think most of the rows have them. There's a sheet. It's like a Thrive survey. If you haven't had a chance, a lot of you have seen this already, but if you haven't had a chance to, to take a look at this, well, you take a look at it, and you got the rest of the service to decide what you want to do with it. It's totally optional. But this survey is just a thing we're doing over the course of this series that I want to do more often, kind of get a pulse on where we are as a church family with various things. And, and when it comes to like growing in our faith, I think one of the most important things is to put ourselves in community where that can happen. So this little survey will ask you a question like, are you in a discipling relationship? Do you have someone in your life who's helping you grow? Uh, the second question is, what does that look like for you? You can jot it down if you have. The answer can be no. No, I don't. And the third question is, and if you want to go here, you can. And if you don't, you don't have to. But the third question is, can, you help, can we help you with that? And so we've had a handful of people turn in cards this week and last week that said, yeah, I would like some help with that. And if you want to, someone to give you a call, shoot you an email, write your personal information on there. Someone will reach out to you this week and just say, hey, this is, this is some things we have going on right now. I can tell you there's a team of people working on some new groups that we're going to try to launch in like January, new uh, small groups, which is just kind of, a, kind of a fellowship and a Bible study that meets at people's houses, uh, maybe some more classes, options here at the building. Uh, there's also the option of meeting one-on-one with people. So that's just a commercial for that because if we're going to own our growth, you don't need to do it alone. Last week, we went into a big tenet of owning our growth, and that's God's word. So the message was Bible internalization. How do you get it in you? This is our toolbox of things to pull out. You might remember I talked about a monkey wrench. <laughs> when you need a monkey wrench, you need it now. When you need God's truth, you need it now. You don't need to like sit through a six-week class to get it. You, you really need God's truth in the moment, and so internalizing God's word is a great way to do that. This week, what I want to do is... Look at maybe the source of where all that growth comes from and the goal. And to get there, we're going to be in John chapter 15. So grab your Bibles if you got one, or the scripture's going to be on the screen here beside me. And we're going to be in John chapter 15. John is one of the four biographies of the life of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're uh, called the Gospels. And John is actually like the, the... Probably the most uh, man-on-the-street version. It's, it's very uh, bas- basic Greek is what it was written in. The stories he tells, he talks a lot about light. He talks a lot about darkness. He talks about you know, what it means to be a fisher of men, things like that. Just ba- I'm using uh, this one. There we go. That one's tied to the stand. They all are. We had another mic up here. It's not up here. Give me a second, guys. I'm going to do some uh, minor maintenance up here. You got your Bibles ready? John chapter 15. And in John chapter 15, we're going to meet Jesus in kind of an extended scene of uh, 
something he's been doing with his disciples for a minute. So they're in kind of a big holiday moment too. They are in a, um, a Passover meal. So we're having Thanksgiving coming up. Passover might be... Thanksgiving might be the closest thing to Passover that we have in terms of what they did. It was all about food. It was the story of Moses and the nation of Israel and, 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 and them being delivered from that. But in this meal, it probably would have taken them hours, hours to get through the meal. It was very ceremonial. They'd go over some of their scripture and stuff like that. And over the course of this meal, Jesus does a couple of interesting things that we read about in the book of John. In chapter 13 and 14, he's like, he's already washed their feet, which is like a very humble thing to do. He does some teaching on humility. He then uh, talks to them about the Holy Spirit who's going to come and help them along the way. And so that's a pretty cool uh, section. When you get to chapter 15, though, Jesus is going to shift gears and he's going to go into kind of like this agricultural metaphor. It's a place where he's going to get into talking about a vine. So I want you to jump in this with me. John chapter 15, starting at verse one. He says, I am the true vine. My father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Now you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you, but remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. You following this whole logic here? It's like a gardening metaphor. Verse five, he says, I am the vine. You are the branches. And if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit because apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that's thrown away. It withers Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. But if you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Jesus is preparing his disciples for the biggest moment of their life, he's about to go give his life on the cross. That's about to go down. He's about to be betrayed by Judas. He's about to be arrested. He's about to go through this bogus trial through the middle of the night. He's going to end up nailed to a cross in just a little bit. Now, he's going to raise from the dead. He tries to explain that to them in this upper room that they're in, and obviously, they don't understand. Um, I mean, if your friend's like, yeah, listen, I'm going to die tomorrow, but don't worry, I'll be back. That's basically what Jesus is explaining to them. They're going to figure it out. And in this moment, he's got this goal. He says, here's what I want you to do. No matter what happens in the next few hours, next few weeks, next few months, next few years, remain in me. Remain in me. Each year, I I lead a summer camp for uh, Roanoke Christian Camp in Washington, and I've been able to lead the high school session of camp for the last, like, 10 years, Uh, and I love working with our students. We'll have, like, 100 to 120 students at each week of camp, and something bizarre happens every single week, and I love to watch it play out. Kids show up on Sunday, and they are not feeling it. I mean, they're like, Prove it to me, funny guy. Like, let us have a good time. Let's, and you got these, they're teenagers and like these, these tough macho boys and these whatever girls. And they're just like, they, they signed up to come to camp, but they're like, I am not about to have fun right now. It's not everybody, but there's a lot of them that show up. And something amazing happens over the course of that week. By, by Friday, they love each other so much that they never want to leave. 
I love you guys. I love camp. I don't want to leave. And they're signing up to like volunteer next week as a, as a junior counselor. Like they want to be there. And so I think that there's something to it. It's about this intense time that they have together. It's the sun up to sun down relationship. It's the idea that they're going through like competitions together. They're playing games. They're sitting through like these, these really good teachings and worship times, and workshops. They have these conversations. They're broken into smaller teams. And like what's crazy is to watch those walls break down for these these teenagers, and Thursday night we have like the pinnacle moment, okay? And so I've been doing the high school week for years, and what we do at high school week on Thursday night is we let the seniors have what they call their senior talk. And there's, the seniors get up, and they, they have a moment. They get, and like, we had like 30 seniors last year, so I was like, well, you have 30 seconds. <laughs> um, if all of you talk for one minute, that's a half hour, and I know you're not going to do that. But uh, they get up, and it's like, if you could say like one word of encouragement to the underclassmen, like why camp has mattered to you, or what you would do different, and it's amazing. These kids give these like, these, these Martin Luther King level speeches, and you're just like, oh my goodness, it's coming out of it. Now here's the thing, that happens, and I love it. Fast forward, 51 weeks later, we start camp again. It's amazing as I watch how many of those kids have to start the cycle all over again on Sunday night. Something happens when they leave the safe space of camp. The people that we were on the same team with, the thing that we had the same goals with, Thursday night they were ready to conquer the world for Jesus. By next Thursday, man, I don't know. Because the, the, the support and the strength that I had from those people with me is not there anymore. I feel like Jesus' little talk here in the upper room as he's talking about remain in me and the vine and the branches, I, f I feel like there's a little bit, the, the closest thing I might could tie it to for me would be like a Thursday night at camp. It's like Jesus is sitting with these guys, and they weren't together for just a week. No, he said, look, guys, look, we've been together for a long time. You've been following me for three and a half years. You have seen me do amazing things. You, you were there when we raised that guy from the dead. You were there when we just fed thousands of people with only a little bit of boys' lunch. That was amazing. You, you saw me when I walked on water. You see me stand toe-to-toe -to -toe with the biggest religious officials in our city and make them look like they don't even know what they're talking about because of the truth that I'm just dropping. I want you to know this is a mountaintop experience. It's going to be good. But camp's about to be over. I'm about to go and do the thing I came to do to fulfill the Father's will for me. And it's going to get hard out there in the real world. And there's one thing, if there's, if there's one thing I could teach you guys to do, it would be remain in me. Don't forget what you've been through. Don't forget what you've been taught. Don't forget what you believe. And it's just this, like, really encouraging speech he gives them. And, and I can only imagine, because I just keep picturing this scene. It's the same scene we relive every single week in our church when we take communion. I mean, we really are reliving this moment when we take communion. And so I've talked about it a lot, you know, from our stage. And, like, I, I just think there are so many moments on that day where they're just like, what is he talking about? Like, Jesus has done some amazing things, so they trust him. I think they trust him. And I can't even begin to role play what it was like to be them. But he's like, listen remain in me. And he uses this metaphor. So let's talk about the vine. The vine, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. The vine is a common symbol throughout Israel, Israel's history. Uh, if, if you went to their temple back in Jesus' day, like there was this big ornate golden like vine thing that was over the door when you walked in. So it was very symbolic. They had like a vine on their, their currency, 
on their coins. And so it might be akin to like for Americans, we might like eagles, yeah, eagles, you know. And then, you know, vines is a big deal. So when you talk to these guys about vines, I think, and maybe it's just reading too much into it, but I think that's just a special imagery for them. But Jesus has also just given that little speech where he picks up the cup. And he's like, this is the fruit of the, what, the vine. So, like, it's, it's up in there. Also, probably some of the most wealthy people in this society were, like, owners of vineyards. Like, wine was a really big deal in, in their culture. That was just, like, one of the main drinks that they had. And so, I think even more than it would mean to us, I think that this original group of guys that he's talking to, when he says, listen, remain in me, I'm going to talk about it like it's a vine. And if you know anything about vines, guys, because you guys probably all have vineyards, I know, I've been to your, your estates. Um, but, you know, these guys get vines. Vines require some tending. They require some gardening. And so he gives, he's like, you know how it is. So he gives a couple examples. Like, you know, if a, if a, if a, if a vine is unproductive, it, well, they cut it off. They don't need that vine on there. It's taking nutrients from the, the main branch. So we don't, we don't need, uh, they, they cut the branch off because it's taking the nutrients from the main vine. Or if it is productive, they're going to like prune it in such a way that it is more productive so that it does its job. It produces fruit. Uh, Lindsay and I have attempted gardening in a lot of ways. And uh, one thing we have at our house is this, this uh, little lemon tree. I would call it a lemon bush. Maybe a lemon shrub. It's not big. Uh, we've had it for a long time. I don't know, five or six years? We've had it for a long time. And that puppy has produced four lemons? Maybe? You think it's more than that? Isn't it? So, oh, don't get ahead of me. So, so, so it hasn't been a real healthy tree, but it's been fun. We try to take care of it. Also, this ain't Tropicana. Okay, we're not in Florida. I don't know. But, so, but last year we did something. We were like, man, it had gotten pretty tall. And I was just like, man, I just feel like, based on what Jesus says here, <laughs> we should like prune this thing back. So we, so we cut it back because, you know, that big, tall branch and all the leaves is getting a lot of the nutrients. And what if more nutrients could be pumped in to the, the tree itself? And so we did that. I'm going to tell you guys, it's, it's true facts, okay? I'm an official uh, vine trimmer now. Right now at my house, we have a grand total of four lemons on our tree. Right now, right now, we're making lemonade, one cup of lemonade. Coming up, <laughs> um, I say all that just to say, listen, it, it, there, there's, there's truth in the notion that when we're putting like our energy and, and our mentality and, and, and the nutrients of our life into all these side shoots of stuff, like we're just spilling it into that, spilled into that. And so often people come and they're like, I'm at my wits end. I can't find time for anything. And if you're honest and you just look at your life, you're like, well, I'm trying to go a hundred different directions right now. Of course you're exhausted. Of course you can't produce anything in your life. Of course you're a bad mom and a bad dad and a bad employee because you're probably not great at anything. I'm not saying that to be negative. What I'm saying is we only have the capacity to do so much. And Jesus uses this same whole metaphor, and he says, listen, the goal is actually not to be a beautiful vine. Some of y'all are beautiful vines. Good for you. You did a good job. But the goal is not to just look good. The goal is to produce fruit. The goal of a lemon tree is to produce lemons. If your apple tree is not producing apples, it's just, a, it's just a tree. It's a regular tree. And so Jesus says, listen, I want you to produce fruits in keeping with being a disciple of mine. I, I want you to be the type of person that it's evident that I'm active in your life. So there needs to be some tending done. Remain in me. Jesus continues this metaphor. Verse 5, we already read it, but I'm to look at it again. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me, 
and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Don't miss the second half. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And so often we try to thrive in this world without the empowering presence of God in our life. I can just do it. I'm tough. I'm smart. I made it through grad school. I made it through that, that, that time when I had that rough situation at work. I went through that bad relationship. And that's great. We are resilient. We are created in the image of God. That's why we're so tough. But don't miss this. He says it in case we miss it. He says, I am the vine. You are the branches. The vine is the life source. The branches are where the fruit grows. And so if we're trying to also be the vine, <laughs> I'm trying to be the life source, and then also produce fruit, we're only going to produce, like, my, my fruit for my kingdom, for my good stuff. And we don't have the ability to sustain that, and it definitely isn't life-giving to other people. I'm the vine, you are the branches. Jesus' goal is that we be fruit bearers. And so in the time we have left, I want to talk about, like, what does it mean to bear fruit? Like, I mean, we got, like, nectarines <laughs> growing out of my armpits. Obviously not. This is a metaphor, right? So what is, what is the actual fruit? Like, what should I be doing? Uh, I, I love, uh, there's a scholar named Dr. Mark Moore. I've quoted him so many times. He's got a book that I recommend called The Chronological Life of Christ. It's a commentary, pretty thick, but he goes through all four Gospels. He does his best to line up. If you've ever noticed in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, a lot of times, like, the same story will be in, like, two or three or even all four of the Gospels. So he'll line those up. He'll even show you, like, what's different and how how you can learn from the differences and stuff like that. He has this thing that he says about this passage from John 15. And he gives us what I think is a good like, outline of what fruit can look like in our life. Let me just read it to you. It's kind of a long quote, so, so hang on. He says, by clinging to Christ, we will bear fruit. It's not automatic, but it is inevitable. This is to say, although it will require effort on our part, there's no question that all true disciples are fruitful. Just as branches connect to a vine to produce grapes, so a Christian connected to Jesus bears fruit. Jesus' fruit. The fruit included are such things as these. So he gives a list of four things. Christian character, righteous living, and deeds of kindness, converts, and praises offered up to God. And he gives some references for each of those four things that if you'd like to know, maybe I could, I'd be glad to email it to you or show you. Um, but I want to take a look at those four, I guess, areas of fruit and just kind of ask you to do an assessment of yourself. Or maybe, like, if you're in a place right now where you're like, well, I don't know, I haven't really, like, dived all the way into Christianity. I'm just here, like, my wife brought me. She always makes me come to church. Okay, cool. This is an assessment of what Christians should be doing. So this is just a good outsider looking in. So these are four areas where we, we should be bearing fruit. Christian character, righteous living, deeds of kindness. Sorry, righteous living and deeds of kindness. Converts and praises offered to God. Let's just break those down one by one real quick. First, Christian character. So Christian character. Uh, the Apostle Paul talks about fruit in the book of Galatians. Uh, Galatians 5, 22 through 23 says this. The fruit of God's spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. And against such things, there is no law. So there's nine things in that list, and he's like, listen, if you're living in Christ, this is the type of character that should be 
born from your life. Love. We talk a lot about love. That's kind of like the low-hanging fruit. But honestly, it is a driving power behind everything that we do. Love, love is about sacrifice. How do I put other people first, make other people uh, successful, how I make other people uh, know God's things for their life above myself? That, that, that's love. But other things, kindness. If I look at the world that we live in, and I try to look at some of the qualities of character that are the most anti-God, it might be kindness or lack of kindness. We're mean to people, man. Someone's wearing an outfit that you don't approve of. Well, who made you fashion police, first of all? But then to talk about them in such a negative way, like that's not fruit of being in the vine. Gentleness. Gentleness is one of my favorite because gentleness is only possible for strong people. Weak people don't have to be gentle because they're weak. They're not going to break stuff. (laughs) Strong people have to have enough self-control to be gentle. Gentle in your words, gentle in your deeds. Fill in the blank. I said self-control. That's a huge one. I've heard that self-control might be the key, like, vice that we struggle with. Like, why would we sin if not because we can't control (laughs) ourselves? So fruit of being in him is that I am going to make an effort to control myself and I'm going to tap into the power that him being in my life is going to give me and I'm going to lean on that and I'm going to progressively make better and better decisions. Patience. Oh my goodness, it's the fun one. And we could do a whole teaching. We have. We've done a nine-week series on these nine phrases before. That's Christian character. And so if you're in the vine and you're living for Jesus, then like people should look at your life and be like, man, you, yeah, you're different. Your character is different. Keep on going. The second one is this that he says is righteous living. Righteousness is not something that comes natural to us. Righteousness, you can break down the words, just like rightness, the state of being and doing right. And we are not on our own righteous. We have brokenness and we have sin and that's the baggage we all bring to us. Today, we, we came with it, and so welcome to the club of, of unrighteousness. We have it going on, but if we're in the vine, the thing that we're going to produce in our life is righteousness. We're going to look at the TV show that we were going to watch on Netflix, and we might be on episode seven, but we'll be like, dang, this is unrighteous. I'm going to stop watching this show because that's what's being pumped into my brain. I know I normally treat people like this when they cut me off in traffic or they treat me wrong at work, but that's not righteous. <sighs> Okay, I'm going to treat them different next time. Righteous living is hard, but it's, it's so great. Jesus says, I am the light of the world, and anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness. And that's a challenge because we live in kind of this pluralistic Christian society sometimes where we're like, well, I mean, you can kind of do whatever you want to. It's cool. It's fine. As long as you can, like, explain it away or... One of my least favorite phrases is like, as long as you don't do it in church. I'm like, okay, you can, this is like a sacred, holy spot that you can, you can do anything you want to out there, but you come in here. And our righteous living is, it's a lifestyle. (laughs) And here's the thing, we all stink at it, okay? So get off your high horse. We all stink at it, and that's what Jesus is for. This is Philippians chapter two. It says he lowered himself in his righteousness. He lowered himself and he became like us. He became a human. He became obedient even to death so that in defeating death, he could prove his righteousness. And like his righteousness covers up our lack of righteousness. And we can, and we can borrow from that and we can, he pays our spiritual debt. It's beautiful. 
Christian character, righteous living, living. The third one is this, making converts, making converts or making disciples. We, this is probably a better way of looking at it. Uh, this is a challenging thing um, because I think that a lot of times we have the mentality. I'm guilty of this too. I'm a preacher. Like that's like my job. That's what I do. That's my identity to some people. Um, but I'm even guilty of this. It's like winning people for Jesus, like bringing them over into the mindset of I want to live for Jesus. That's somebody else's job. Isn't there like a missionary for that? Isn't that, a, isn't that the preacher's job? Isn't that my grandma's job? But actually the fruit, Jesus says to his disciples right before he ascends into heaven, he, in Matthew chapter 28, he says, you therefore go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you, baptizing them in the name of Jesus. Surely I will be with you always till the very end of the age. He gives us all that commission. Make converts, make disciples. In the world we live in today, you say make converts. That's kind of a dirty word, right? Even among Christianity, we have a hard time saying, I want to make converts. Sounds like you're starting a cult, you know, brainwashing people. No, the way you make converts is by telling your story. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. This is how I was transformed. Look at my life and tell me if I'm a liar, which is why it's important that we bear fruit. And inviting people on that journey with us is a challenging question. How many people have you led from darkness into light? How many people have you come alongside them and said, can I invite you to see the world through the lens of who Jesus is? I, I'm not the street preacher guy. I'm not going to hand out tracts in a restaurant. Um, That's just not me. I, I feel like the best context for that is in a relationship. I've done this. I have friends who do it, who join activities, join a softball team, go to a thing at work, be part of a thing for the express purpose of I want to build relationships with people who might not know Jesus. Not to stack my resume, but to say, man, well, if I could just get in community with some people, and then from that context of a relationship, I would tell you over and over and over and over again, if you remain in him, you will bear fruit. I'm blown away, and this is in all humility, I almost wouldn't even say it, but I think it's encouraging for you. The opportunities I get to show people the light of Jesus, and then I walk away from those conversations going, Lord, why me? Like, I'm not worthy of this. And I know a lot of you could tell the same story. But that's fruit. I want to encourage you, invite somebody to the walk with you. Don't beat them over the head with a Bible. That's proven to be ineffective. But invite them to the walk with you. The last one that Dr. Moore mentions is uh, praises offered to God. So we've got like uh, a Christian character and righteousness and like winning people as disciples. That's, that's big fruit. But here's, here's another thing. All of that seems like um, kind of deeds you can do. Like you can be better, do better. This is just like a gift that you, you get to give back to God. And I believe that bringing glory to God is maybe the sole purpose of our existence. Period. Like if you're looking like, why am I here? Um, I think God was like, I like receiving glory. So I'm going to create all these beautiful people and I'm going to invite them to live in me and I'm going to invite them to praise me. It's not about a style of music. You don't have to even use songs or musical instruments to give glory to God. Some of my most intimate, and you guys know me, I'm a, I'm a musician and singer. I love doing worship songs. But some of my most truly meaningful worship times have been all by myself in the woods where I can just step back and be like, this is creation. Glory to God. You're amazing. Or some of my most broken moments where I'm like, I don't know what to do, but I'm just going to trust you. And then to see on the other side of that journey when I'm like, wow, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. 
Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15 says that through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer God a sacrifice of praise. And listen to this. It's almost like they were sharing notes. The fruit of lips that openly profess his name. Don't get stuck in the mentality that the only time you can worship is on Sunday morning from 10.05 to 10.23 or whatever time we sing songs. Okay, did my worship for the week. No, you're missing out. It's from the time you wake up to the time you go to bed. It's when you're driving down the car and someone narrowly misses running into you and you're like, thank you, Lord, for protecting me right now. It's when you see his provision every single two weeks when you get your paycheck and you're not sure how it's going to work out, but you're still here. And it's when you see God interacting in the lives of people around the world. Is the world broken? Is there scary stuff? Yes. Yes, in fact, it's too scary for us to live in a place where we're just not going to give God the glory because that's, he's the vine. He's the source of the encouragement. He's the source of the solution. And when a plant is properly cared for and connected to nutrients, it just can't help but produce fruit. And a life that is connected to Jesus just can't help to bring him glory. So that's the challenge I have for you this week, maybe. Maybe that's all you need to do. Like, praise God every day. Take time to praise him every day. I think starting there begins to re-gear re even how our mind works. Not like, oh, i got to read my Bible, I forgot. But like, oh, I, I get to praise you. Like, praise God this week. This is what it means to bear fruit. Verse 6, he says, if you do not remain in me, you're like branches. They're thrown away and wither. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. Look, I know a lot of preachers who would take this as a moment to preach hellfire and brimstone and just talk about hell a whole lot. Uh, I, I believe it's actually more of a statement of the consequence of malnutrition. He's just stating a fact. You guys have all had grass die in your yard or some plant die that you tried to keep alive, and you're like, anybody have a goldfish for two weeks? Yeah, we just, he just didn't have the environment he needed to thrive. It just... <laughs> is a problem. Jesus is saying, listen, if you're not connected to the vine, you're going to wither up. You're really not good for much else. It'll be thrown into the trash pile. Does God view you that way? No. Here's the thing I want you to hear. God is not sitting up in heaven going, who can I send to hell today? No. He's like, I love you so much. I want you to come be with me. I want you to remain in me. And I want you to know it's dangerous out there, but you don't have to be out there. Remain in me. Because apart from me, you can do nothing. The way that we remain in him is that we continually allow ourselves to be a funnel to pour him in. And so I think just to wrap things up today, I would just ask you, like, what are you pouring in? What are you pouring in? If you can tell me more trivia, we watched this on Jeopardy this week, and this guy Dude, he knew everything about Bruce Springsteen lyrics. It was amazing. He did the whole category. He, was, he knew everything about everything. He was a Jeopardy champion. I was impressed. But then they asked a question about Jesus. And um, it was just, you know, I'm not throwing any shade on him. He didn't know it. But he, it, the question was, like, uh, the shortest Bible verse says Jesus wept. And who was Jesus weeping for? He thought about it for a minute. He said, Paul? And he didn't understand, like, well, like, the relationship between Paul and Jesus wouldn't have even, when did, when was Jesus going to cry for Paul? Like, but it's like such a big moment in Jesus' life when one of his closest friends dies. That's Lazarus is the answer to that question. And, but what, what struck me was to be like, man, this guy knows so much stuff about so much stuff. 
but I don't think he's ever been really introduced to this life-giving message from God's word. And I think that we are just like that guy a lot. We're this funnel, and we pour all kind of stuff in. How's your fantasy football team doing, This the eight that you run? You could probably tell me who the best running back to put in if this guy's hurt. But what about when your life's struggling? Have you been pouring him in? You can tell me all about your favorite political candidate and all that they stand for that they're against. Cool. Be a citizen. Good for you. But what about when this stuff hits the fan and I got to get my life straight? Where do I turn? What have you been pouring in? Because what you pour in is what will pour out. And Jesus says, remain in me. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you could do nothing. Guys, let's own our growth. Let's pray.